Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Thank you on a day like today. Seems to be so inadequate. And yet at the same time, appropriate. A thank you to those who have served our great nation, who currently are serving, willing to pay the ultimate price for the freedom that you and I cherish and we treasure so much. But on this day, we honor and we celebrate those who did pay the ultimate price for our freedom. The Bible says in Romans 13, 7, to give to everyone what you owe them. And later on it says, if you owe them respect, then give them respect. If you owe them honor, then give them honor. Our nation's soldiers have earned and deserve both our honor, our respect, and our gratefulness today. And so we do just that. We honor his word by honoring and respecting them. And today we celebrate, we show great gratitude to the fallen soldier and their families who have paid such a high and such a great price so that together you and I can freely assemble, that we can celebrate our freedoms today because of the price they paid. And so though it seems inadequate yet appropriate, we want to say thank you to all of our fallen soldiers, to Gold Star families, and to those who have and continue and will in the days ahead serve our great nation. And today as we celebrate our fallen soldiers, we also conclude our series in Lord Sink, Our Battleship, which asserts this, that as we continue uh, to explore what it is to be a church that brings honor and glory to the Lord, a church that is uh, consumed by his mission. We've been studying Three modern church models, um, J.D. Greer's book, Gaining by Losing, three modern church models. There's the, the cruise ship model of the church, the battleship model of the church, and the aircraft carrier model. Well, as we begin to study Scripture, Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, we quickly ask the Lord to sink our cruise ship model of the church. A, a model that says church is all about me, ought to cater to me, ought to be centered around me. And we quickly found through Scripture that's not the model for us. The battleship model, which asserts that it's up to the church institution, the the church staff and the pastor to do the work in the ministry of the church and the gospel. And whether it's 2 Peter chapter 2 or Ephesians chapter 4, we quickly realized that for each of us who are in Christ, we are Holy Spirit-filled believers that God has sent to do the work in the ministry of the gospel. So we quickly prayed, Lord, sink our battleship. But here's where we've decided to land. Decided to land on the aircraft carrier model for the church, which asserts that Connect Church and our gathering time together acts as an aircraft carrier which trains and equips you, the Holy Spirit-filled believer, and sends you as fighter pilots, if you will, to take the fight to the enemy on the front line of God's mission to save the world. Last week, we summed up our mission in Christ with just two words. You ready? Live sent. 
live sent. It's on some of the t-shirts we have out there. It's on the bracelets we gave out last week or the manlets that we gave out last week to everybody who came. The idea that our mission is summed up in living sent. 44 times in the gospel of John, Jesus is described not as a miracle worker, though he was, not as one who cast out demons, though he did, Jesus was described not as one who performed incredible signs, although he did. 44 times in the Gospel of John, Jesus is described as being sent. He said this to his disciples in John chapter 20, verse 21, really the undergirding theme in Scripture of our sermon series. He says, just as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. What's amazing about Jesus is Jesus lived sent. But today, here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at a secret weapon, better yet, a not-so-secret weapon, at our disposal in this mission we've been called to, to live sent. Now, if I were to say this, hey, guys, I want you on Tuesday... I want you to show up at our church offices, which are just a a few blocks down the road. I want you to sit around our our staff meeting table, and I want you to come up with a way that we could reach a whole lot of people for Jesus. More than likely, a majority of those who attend church nowadays would sit around that table, and immediately we would put our heads together, and we would come up with what? An event, right? A big event to reach as many people as we can for the cause of Christ. Well, we might sit around the table and go, hey, first thing we need, we need a big-name speaker. So why don't we get maybe some of my favorites. I love Matt Chandler and David Platt and and Francis Chan. Why don't we get one of them to come? Or or maybe you love Stephen Furtick at Elevation Worship over in in Charlotte or or T.D. Jakes. And we think of the biggest names out there. Hey, let's book them. But also, if you get a preacher, you got to get what? A big-time worship band. And so maybe we'd sit around the table and go, hey, how about Chris Tomlin? Christian Stanfield, Hillsong United, Bethel. Man, we would think of the biggest and best Christian bands and worship leaders out there. And you can't forget, if we're going to host this big event to reach as many people as we can, we need a great venue. What about an abandoned warehouse? Hey, better yet, a worship night under the stars. And you know what you can't leave out? Wherever the venue is, it's got to have nice lights. It's got to have a fog machine. You know why the Holy Spirit can't move without a fog machine, right? Remember that? And it has to have what every good Christian event has. Has to has it. You ready? String lights. You got to have those at the event, right? We would plan this incredible event. And how can we reach the most people for Jesus? We might think to ourselves that this event, these huge Christian icons, icons might just be the secret weapon that could reach a whole lot of people for Jesus. But here's the problem. That wasn't Jesus' secret weapon. Jesus had a much different, not-so-secret weapon for us to utilize. Take your Bibles, if you would. Let's go to Matthew. And I want us to begin to get a glimpse of what this not-so-secret weapon is all about. In Matthew we find an incredible conversation between Jesus and an expert in the law. Matthew chapter 22, and I love this because Jesus is having a conversation with an expert in the law, 
And the expert in the law doesn't realize that he's talking to the very one who wrote the law, and he's trying to tap Jesus with the very law Jesus had written. And catch this conversation. See if you see this not-so-secret weapon here. Verse 36, chapter 22. The teacher of the law went to Jesus with this question. What is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. He's quoting the Shema here. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Now watch this, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. Did you catch the not-so-secret weapon? Jesus begins to show us. Hey, listen, if you didn't catch it there, go over with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Gospel of John, chapter 13. And we're going to begin in verse 34. I want you to see if you see it now. You ready? Watch what Jesus says as he begins to have this, the last meal with his disciples just hours before the cross, hours before his execution. Listen to what Jesus said, how he reminds them of this not-so-secret weapon. He says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see yet? Not so secret weapon. Hey, turn over just two chapters. John chapter 15. Watch this. If you're not convinced yet, verse 12. Jesus says this, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. And here comes one of the greatest of all Memorial Day passages in all of the Bible. Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life. For one's friend. In verse 17, he reiterated this. And I love it. He makes it emphatic. In verse 17, Jesus said, This is my command love each other. Guys, did you catch the not so subtle, the not so secret weapon that Jesus has for us? Fighter pilots who engage and take the fight to the enemy on the front lines of God's mission to save the world. You ready? Jesus' not-so-secret weapon was not just some event with Christian celebrities in a cool venue. His not-so-secret weapon was simple. For us to love one another. To love one another. As a command, it is second only to the command to love God with everything. It is the way that people see Christ in us and they know that we are his disciples in John 13, 35. And loving one another is our response to the way Jesus has loved us according to John 13, 34. And so the question becomes this morning, if our mission is to live sin and our not-so-secret weapon is loving one another, what does it look like to love one another? Well, this question was posed to a group of children. And can I read some of their responses to you this morning? Listen to what Chrissy said, age six. She said, love is when you go out to eat and you give somebody most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. Listen, that's cute, but that's reality. If I start sharing my food with me and Erin go out to eat, she knows I love her, right? She knows I'm in this with her. I, I love this from Danny, age nine. He says, love is when my mommy 
makes coffee for my daddy, and she sips it before giving it to him to make sure it tastes okay. My favorite, Rebecca, age eight. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's how you love one another. You see, Jesus is not so secret weapon to loving one another. It's not superficial. Rather, it is sacrificial in such a way that even children will take notice of. Loving one another. So here's today's sermon. Summed up in one statement. You ready? The secret weapon to living sent is to love sacrificially. The secret weapon to living sent is to love sacrificially. Did you catch Jesus' word in John, John chapter 15, verse 13? Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Perhaps the most famous and worthy of all passages for Memorial Day. Hey, isn't this why we love the soldiers so much? Isn't this why that we cherish them and honor them so deeply? Because it's the sacrifice of the fallen soldier that serves as a reminder to us of the ultimate sacrificial love of the Father. But how is it that you and I begin to love one another in this sacrificial type way? I want to do this this morning. I, I want to point out two areas that as believers, as fighter pilots, as soldiers on the front lines of God's mission to save the world, that I believe we really struggle with when it comes to loving one another. Guys, I watched in this past year as a pastor that something as small and as simple as a mask could tear a church wide apart. Because if you wear one, you're, buying, you're drinking a Kool-Aid. And if you don't wear one, you want to kill a member of your family. A mask can rip apart a church. At the heart of it, we really do struggle sometimes, don't we? With loving one another. And these are just two areas of, of many this morning that I think maybe we struggle with the most. And I think that if, if we could learn to love one another in these two ways, it would change every church. And by the way, not the building, but the body. Not a program, but a people. Not an organization, but an organism made alive in Christ. It would change the church all across this world forever. And so what is it? How do we love one another better? Well, hey, first of all, when it comes to loving one another, we must be readied and we must be willing to forgive. Hey, guys, let me tell you the most devastating part of cancel culture. There's no room for forgiveness. It destroys everybody it touches until it touches the person who cancels everybody else and they want forgiveness because it's not there. But you know what? Thankfully, cancel culture is not the culture that Christ created for his church. Our culture and his church as his church is a culture of forgiveness. Paul instructs the church in Colossians 3, verse 13. Watch what he says here. Be careful to note what he says. Bear with one another. Isn't that what it looks like sometimes? Bear with one another and forgive one another if any one of you have grievances against someone. 
Watch this. Here's the condition. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Hey, sometimes loving one another is aptly described as bearing with one another. Just putting up with somebody. Hey, listen, when it comes to our relationships, we love most things about most people, but there's that part of everybody that's really annoying, <laughs> like that you really got to put up with, that you really got to bear with, right? We understand that. But with bearing, there also must come forgiving. Paul is clear. We forgive because we have been forgiven. I've heard it said this way. Those who forgive much have been forgiven much. We forgive because he's forgiven us. Oftentimes as I counsel a couple in there, I'm fixing to marry them. One of the things that I'll tell them is this, that a successful marriage is not the union of two perfect people, but the union of two really good forgivers. We love one another by forgiving one another. You know, when I think of all that God has forgiven of me, it makes it a whole lot easier for me to forgive someone who has hurt me, even someone who's hurt me really deeply. Hey, just when I think one person's offense is just too much, it's too great. I remember how many times my offenses my rebellion, my sin. How many times it would have seemed too great or too much for God, and yet he loved me and he forgave me anyway. We must love one another by forgiving one another. I've come to the place in my life where I just choose forgiveness as my default position. I'm a 39-year-old man in what feels like an 83-year-old man's body, right? Like time is advancing faster than it ever has. And I'm just, I mean, I choose forgiveness. I don't even know everybody in the room, but I choose to forgive you anyway. And let me tell you why. Why I choose to forgive people who didn't ask for it, who didn't want it. I forgive people who hate me. I've got presidents of fan clubs out there, people who hate me. And I forgive them. And here's why. You ready? Because unforgiveness is just too heavy of a burden to carry. Loving one another requires forgiving one another. Now, I love this conversation between Jesus and Peter in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Watch this, what takes place in this conversation of forgiveness. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked. Now, note, Peter is asking Jesus a question. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And then watch what Peter does. He answers his own question. Up to seven times? Now, this was impressive. Even for a rabbi and a teacher of the law that day, for a rabbi to say he would forgive somebody three times, to forgive three offenses or to, uh, to forgive an offender three times, that was seen as gracious and generous. And here's Peter in an attempt to impress everybody around him. Hey, seven times? He more than doubles that number. Pretty impressive. Until Jesus steps up to the mic. In a sense, I can imagine in that setting, it just seems to me that Jesus, unimpressed by Peter's show of piety, say that 10 times fast, unimpressed by Peter's show of piety, 
He's innocent, says, hey, Peter, you asked me that question? Go sit in time out, and I want you to listen. And here's what Jesus answers. I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Now, for those of you guys who are raised on KJV, or in, this, this got me, uh, so many people are like, no, it's 70 times, seven times. That's exactly the wording here. It's just a different wording, okay? 70 times, seven times, or 77 times. In a sense, what Jesus is saying here to Peter Hey, listen, it's not just seven times you forgive someone. And by the way, the number's really not that important here. It is the fact that you and I, as believers in Christ, are willing to continually live out the forgiveness that Jesus loved and lavished on us. And you know what it means? It means that sometimes we have to forgive 77 times different offenses that are brought against us. So now we just got to forgive a whole lot of things that come at us. But sometimes it's that we have to forgive an offender when they've hurt us so deeply, they hurt us so raw and real. But we've got to forgive them 77 times for the same offense. It's this idea that loving one another means that you and I have got to be readied and willing to forgive one another. Paul Osher once said it this way, I have given Jesus countless reasons not to love me, and none of them have changed his mind. And if Jesus can love and forgive me like that, church, I can love and forgive others the same way. In John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said to his disciples, to his church, to me and you, just as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And I got to thinking, that's a pretty raw deal for Jesus. Because I got to thinking of what it means to send Anthony Kendall. What it really means to send most of us in the room. When he says, I'm sending you, here's what he, what he means when he's sending Anthony Kendall. I, I am sending broken you, imperfect you. Afraid you, scarred you, hurt you, stressed you, insecure you, the prone to fall you, the struggling with sin you. And then I got to thinking, that's the only type of person Jesus sends. Church, he has no other pond from which he can fish from than that of broken, imperfect, afraid, at times scarred, hurt, stressed, insecure, prone to fall and struggling with sin. People, all of us with whom are in great need of forgiveness from him and from one another. We must love one another better by being ready to forgive. And we must love one another better by remembering this. You ready? Here's the second thing. We are in this fight together. We are in this mission. We are in this battle together. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul reminds the church, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Hey, hear me, church. Our fight is not against each other. 
Our fight is not against other churches. Yet let me tell you something that is the common bond between me and every other pastor in our community. You ready? We all work for the same boss. We're, we're all in this. We're all in this together. And realizing that is how we love one another better. Just before the Battle of Trafalgar in 1805, the British naval hero, Lord Nelson, had uncovered that there was an admiral and there was also a captain in his fleet that were not on good terms. They were not getting along. And so Lord Nelson called for both the captain and the admiral to come before him, and they did. And when the admiral and the captain stood there before him, he took the hand of the admiral, the hand of the captain, and pushed them together. And he faced them and he said, men, look out there. The French, the Spanish fleet, they are your enemy. Church, your brothers and sisters in Christ are not your enemy. They are your family. And yes, it gets messy and ugly at times. If you don't believe me, go on a camping trip together. Man, it gets messy and it gets ugly. But hear me, brothers and sisters in Christ, they aren't the enemy. We are family. And I want you to catch this statement. As far as it depends on you, love one another. Love one another. Now listen, if you're mad at me, you can't stand me, whether you forgive me and love me or not, I can't control. But I sure can control if I forgive you and I love you. So as far as it depends on me, I'm going to love someone else by forgiving them and remembering that we are in this fight together. Church, the not-so-secret weapon Jesus has given us as Holy Spirit-filled believers, as fighter pilots, soldiers on the front lines of his mission to save the world. You ready? It's not some event. It's not some celebrity. But it's simply to love one another. This is how the world sees Jesus in us. This is how the world knows that we've been sent by him. We must love one another by forgiving one another, by remembering we're in this fight together. I want to close with this story. I saw this on the History Channel, that one of the earliest commemorations, one of the earliest memorial celebrations in our nation's history took place just at the end of the Civil War. You see, the Civil War, as it neared its end, saw thousands of Union soldiers who were held as prisoners of war. They were herded into a series of hastily assembled camps in Charleston, South Carolina. The conditions of these camps at the very end of the war for the Union soldiers were awful. In just one of the camps, 250 Union soldiers died from disease and exposure. And what they did is near the city's citadel in Charleston, South Carolina, is they, they dug up a mass grave and put all 250 soldiers' bodies 
in that mass grave. Well, three weeks after the Confederacy had surrendered, there was an unusual processional that was leading into that camp. On May 1st, 1865, nearly a thousand freed slaves and many accompanied by the regiments of the U.S., what they called at the time colored troops, gathered in that camp to consecrate a new and proper burial sites for the Union soldiers. As they prepared the site for the soldiers, the group that gathered there that day, they, they sang hymns, they read the Bible, and they distributed flowers around the new cemetery. Think of it. One of the first glimpses of the Memorial Day celebration we now celebrate today in our nation's history was celebrated by freed slaves honoring those who had purchased their freedom with their very lives. Hey, what a worthy celebration. What a beautiful celebration that took place on that day, May 1st, 1865. But here we gather today We've sang songs to the Lord. We've read his scripture. We have celebrated the fallen soldier. But I remember another day as well. A day that John 8, 34 speaks of. A day where I was enslaved in my sin, in my shame, into this old sin nature. But for the sacrificial love of Jesus With his very life, he purchased for me freedom from my sin, freedom from my shame, and freedom from the power of this old sin nature. Romans, Paul would say it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. In verse 8, he would further say that God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so today as we celebrate the fallen soldier and the freedom their lives purchased for us, we are quickly reminded and we quickly celebrate our fallen Savior whose death and whose life from the grave has purchased for us freedom from our sin, our shame, and from the power of our sin nature in our lives. And so I have a question for you today. Have you ever had a day like that? A day when you placed your faith and trust in Jesus, and he freed you from being enslaved to your sin, as John 8.34 says, and our sin nature and our shame. Has there ever been a day like that in your life? Hey, listen, if there's not been the good news of the gospel of the God who created you and knows you better than anybody else, knows the the darkest and the deepest, the ugliest sin in our life and still loved us there anyway and sent Jesus to die for us, the good news is that Jesus no longer is dead, but three days later he got up out of that grave and that in him you can have life and life everlasting. If you've never had a day where you placed your faith and trust in Jesus and he freed you, today could be that day. And believer, I have a question for you 
in this not-so-secret weapon, this command of our commander-in-chief Jesus to, to love one another, specifically today we talked about loving one another means forgiving one another, means remembering that we're in this fight together. Let me ask you something, church. Who is it that you need to forgive? Because the whole time I preach this sermon, you've been thinking about them. Because the whole time I wrote this sermon, I've been thinking about them. Who is it that you need to be reminded today? They're not the enemy. We're in this together. For some of you, on the way home today, you need to pull by somebody's house. You could take the easy way out and shoot a text. But you need to let somebody know that you love them, forgive them today. And you need to begin that journey of loving one another. Anthony, you don't know how bad they hurt me. I, I don't. I, I don't. But I know this, that unforgiveness is too great a burden to bear. Anthony, they, they, they won't even respond well. Anthony, they, they won't even receive it. Anthony, they're not going to ask for forgiveness. Listen, forgive them. Forgive them. And love one another. Who is it that needs your forgiveness? Hey, listen. Even those of us who bear the name of Christ can do some pretty awful things at times. Who is it that you need to ask their forgiveness? Husband, if you've abandoned a wife, you need to ask her forgiveness. Wife, if you've abandoned a husband, you need to seek forgiveness and repentance. If you've hurt somebody, and your pride has left you, or I just won't even. Listen, who is it that you need to ask their forgiveness? Guys, this not so secret weapon of loving one another means that we continually walk in forgiveness. And if, listen, if I need to apologize, if I need to ask for it, I'll do it. Somebody's hurt me, and I, listen, and I know they'll never ask for it, I'm gonna give it anyway. Because unforgiveness is too great a burden to bear, to carry. We must remember we're in this fight together. And you know, oftentimes I hear people say this about the church. I can't believe people fuss in a church. I can't believe people fight in a church. As a pastor, I can't believe people don't duke it out right here on a Sunday morning. Hey, listen. We're all family. Go on a camping trip. It's hard being around family all the time, right? It gets messy. But you know what? It's worthy. I, I don't know where we get this preconceived notion that church ought to be a perfect gathering. Nothing bad ever takes place, right? Or we don't ever disagree or not get along. Hear me. It's just that we've got to remember. We've got to love one another by forgiving one another. If you've hurt somebody, ask their forgiveness. If you've been hurt by somebody, forgive them. Forgive them. We, we, are, we are a family. It gets messy at times, but it's worthy. Guys, part of living sent is loving sacrificially. It, it doesn't demand other people to sacrifice or for us to give other people over as a sacrifice to our happiness. And all the stories we could tell, of how many people have been damaged, collateral damage, by us sacrificing other people for our happiness. Listen, we need to turn from that 
And we need to lovingly and sacrificially serve and love other people. That's the not-so-secret weapon of living sent. And listen, this message, if it didn't rub against you in some way, you done slept through the whole thing. Man, it's rubbed against me a whole lot this week. But I tell you what, there's something beautiful when you and I love one another. By forgiving one another and by remembering we are in this fight together. Let's pray together, can we? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.